Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today we have on the pod Eric, the co-founder and CEO of Brace, which is building a next-gen mortgage servicing business here in Los Angeles. Eric walks us through his journey from banking to venture capital and then starting Brace. Fun one. Let's get into the conversation. All right. Eric from Brace, cool fintech LA company, man. Welcome to the pod. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm excited to excited to do this one. So we'll get into your journey, but like let's tee it up with what you're working on now. Yeah, so uh, we started this company, Brace, in late 2017. Kind of thesis around the whole business was that mortgage servicing was broken and wanted to be very outdated. We're talking about this, the core software providers out there being built in the 1960s. Uh, and so really wanted to provide a much better customer experience um, for that end borrower, right? I mean, you, you get a mortgage and right now there's a lot of cool tech out there that's enabling lending. Uh, but everyone seemed to forget about the, the servicing component where, you know, you got to pay that, pay those mortgages off, you know, for the next 30, 15 years, whatever you signed up for. And the technology there was just terrible. So we, uh, we, we set out to go solve that pain point first uh, and really found our wedge in, uh, in the default side to help them borrowers stay in their homes when they can't uh, necessarily afford their monthly payments. I mean, I totally believe it. There's a like literally a million different processes of the way banks do things that are totally outdated and, and antiquated. So you key honed in on this one, but how'd you even come to face with this problem? Yeah, so I came at it from a fairly different angle. Um, I was a venture investor living in San Francisco at the time. Um, I was at this, this venture fund called Propel Venture Partners. They uh, they were actually a spin out of BBVA Ventures. Um, so we were focused heavily on early stage fintechs. Um, Two hundred fifty million dollar fund, and got the opportunity to meet a few different interesting founders in the general servicing ecosystem. Um, and found it fascinating how massive this space was and how little innovation has gone into it. And so really, uh, that was early, you know, it's like 2016 timeframe. They got really kind of fascinated with it when I, when I kind of further dug into the mortgage space in particular and realizing how inefficient mortgage servicing was and how it's a 10 plus trillion dollar asset class and really just made the jump um, after looking at it from an investment perspective. Very cool. Okay. So, I mean, there's definitely people that, leave venture investing to go found a business. Uh, I mean, that's pretty clear path, but I wouldn't say it's the clearest path. So how did you find yourself on, on this road? Did you always think you were going to be a founder and investing was a stop or was like investing your end goal? And then you thought had it and you're like, ah, I don't know, maybe there's something better out there. Like what, what was your journey? Yeah. And so before I was actually at Propel Ventures, I was at another venture fund uh, called Industry Ventures. And between actually the venture funds, I was, I was, motivated to actually go and start a business. Um, my dad was the founder and entrepreneur um, back, in, back in the day when I was growing up and always had this curious kind of nature toward me where I really wanted to go and build a business from the ground up. 
Um, and ultimately at the time between the venture stints, um, just realized that, you know, I, I, I wanted to continue to, to hone my shops because um, I had industry ventures we were doing secondaries and a little bit later stage investing for Pell I was doing earlier stage investing. So it wasn't the right time. Um, but ultimately, the issue continued to stay there while I was investing and just realized, look, I, got, I, I found an opportunity here in which there's a massive market. You don't find many massive markets nowadays. You feel a little bit picked over oftentimes um, and just went for it and thought this was the right time, right place. So that's kind of how I ultimately ended up kind of making the plunge. Okay, I've got I got some more thoughts about that, but but let's let's get into the into the, like the earlier piece. You know, how did you even become a, an, an investor? Like, was that what you thought you wanted to do? Where'd you go to school? Like all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so I went to school actually in uh, Boulder, Colorado, so CU Boulder, um, and found myself graduating in the last recession. Uh, so graduated in 2010, and ultimately uh, job market was pretty rough, but. I actually found FT Partners, which is now a very large financially financial technology financial services focused investment bank. At the time, it was it was it was tiny. I think it's grown 10x since I've been there. Um, but Steve McLaughlin, who's um, very famous in the financial services fintech investing ecosystem, took a shot on me, um, and that was kind of right out of school again in a recession. So became an investment banker um, and did some business development with the, with those guys um, for almost two years and that's kind of opened my eyes moved to San Francisco around the whole venture ecosystem. This is when it was it started to explode, right? Like early in 2011, 2012, um, venture investing and startups became kind of a thing. I think it was, it, it, it's, at least that was the start of this new wave of um, this tech bubble. And so got really interested in it and wanted to invest. And so ultimately uh, joined the guys at Industry Ventures um, right out of banking. Okay. And Eric, that's an, I mean, Great path. I mean, kudos to getting an investment banking job uh, in the middle of the recession from a non-target school. How'd you How'd you do that? Um, I mean, I think a lot of life is hustling. Uh, it's, yep. it's it's taking enough shots on goal. Um, I actually flew myself to San Francisco to meet with FT Partners. Uh, they were you know not interested in flying someone from a state school in Boulder, Colorado, out there. Um, actually, never. I I was in San Francisco when I was growing up maybe when I was like six or seven, really don't remember it. So that was the first time I've actually, and I was only there for 24 hours, um, made a good impression there with those, with those folks. And they ultimately ended up hiring me, but yeah, leaving flying to San Francisco, I was there for 24 hours and then make the decision to move there. And right. And so if, if you didn't, if you didn't fly yourself out there, do you think you would have like your life would have taken a pretty different path? Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to take those shots. Um, I knew nothing other than I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a shot on myself, you know, spend the money to go fly out there and give it my all and, it ultimately worked out. So I think it's, yeah, it was, uh, the bet paid off. I think betting yeah. on yourself is important always. Okay. So, so then you go do this investment banking, uh, program for a little while, and then you get an opportunity to jump to the buy side, like every investment banking analyst's, uh, dream. And was it as good as it's cracked up to be? Yeah, I think you learn a tremendous amount. I really enjoyed investing. Um, you meet some fan, like fantastically interesting people. Um, I think the two different experiences, both at Propel and industry are very different in that late stage investing and secondary investing, um, versus kind of series A, C, B, um, you learn a lot of different skill sets. Um, I would say later stage investing is very financially driven. You look at, you know, you look at your comps, you're looking at financials, um, your value, value management team. When you're, when you're taking a bet early on, uh, you really have to roll up your sleeves to help, you know, you're, you're super active. Um, and so both of those experiences are different. I enjoyed both of them equally. 
Um, probably more so though, getting my, which is why, you know, I joined, I, I built a business was getting my, my hands dirty and really figuring out how to go from zero to one. Um, so yeah, I would say the buy, the quote unquote buy side, uh, it's a, it's an interesting place to learn, um, at any point in your career. Right. Okay. So you've, you've had a couple different experiences, uh, investing and then you see this in VC speak, a huge market and untapped, <laughs> untapped problem. I mean, you, you know, the, you know, the uh, lingo very well. Um, and so how do you go about, you know, starting this business? Yeah. So I took a slightly different approach. I actually was living, like I said, in San Francisco and decided to move, um, down to Los Angeles. My father, uh, lives down here and ultimately said, you know what, with, you know, I don't want to pay this crazy San Francisco rent anymore. I really want to stay laser focused. My network was up there, but stay laser focused, moving with my folks, uh, you know, do moving in with your folks in your thirties is a fun experience. And then ultimately, um, build a business from there. So I, I moved down here in early 2017. Um, and, for, you know, live, live there, like this typical startup hustle um, for a year. Didn't incorporate actually business until November of uh, 2017. So spent about six, seven months really understanding the space. I think from an investor perspective, I understood servicing enough, but when really getting into the weeds, you know, I have hundreds of pages of notes from different calls and I would fly around back when we could fly uh, to different areas where you could go and meet with service executives, um, ultimately built an advisory board, before again, even incorporated saying, Hey, you know, X, Y, and Z CEO or you know, leader in servicing, would you be interested um, in kind of joining me on this journey? And then um, really just had a clear thesis around, okay, loss mitigation, um, which is fancy speak for again, like trying to keep people, you know, in their homes um, was a really interesting quote unquote wedge um, to the larger opportunity of building the operating system for servicing. Right. And it sounds like a ton of very complex things. So you start getting advice from people in the industry, hearing their pain points and, and their, and their thoughts. Um, and then when do you like raise some money, start building some product? Like how did, how did that go? Yeah. So ended up, um, first is getting a technical co-founder, right. And building up the team from there. And so we did that in late 2017 and then in early, early 2018, um, we went to actually late 2017, early 2018. We built the pitch deck um, and went to raise. So I think there's a, given I'm not technical, um, we went the approach of a pitch deck raise um, first straight to seed. Um, and we ultimately um, accomplished the goal of raising that initial seed of two and a half million um, in early 2018 with some fantastic investors across the country. Um, spent a lot of time flying up to San Francisco or New York or the core areas, right, to go see these investors. Um, and have a local actually VC down here, Clock Tower Ventures, who are great um, as well, join early. And then ultimately later that year, um, met with the folks over at uh, Crosslink Ventures and they actually did a seed extension. So I think that was another you know, two and a half million dollars into the business. So in total, raised about $5 million um, you know, within a year of incorporating the business um, in 2018. I mean, that's, Eric, that's, that's amazing. Was it that process of being on the other side of the table, asking people for money? Was that harder, easier, like what the new, the new originally anticipated? It's so it's typically much harder. I mean, it was, it was definitely humbling. Um, while, you know, I think I, I really feel for entrepreneurs that do this. I think, you know, I had somewhat of a leg up in that I had these relationships given I was a venture investor for quite some time. 
Um, and it was still extremely humbling and challenging and a lot of no's, a lot more no's than you ever guessed, right? And, you know, funny enough, we got the first two were yeses and then, you know, a sea of no's and then you get your yes. And it's a, it's, um, it's very much, I mean, like the first fundraise, you know, it's, it's been said before, which is the hardest by far. It's certainly true for us thus far um, in terms of trying to get folks interested. And again, servicing is not the sexiest industry. I mean, you talk about loss mitigation, it's there, for, it's even more in the weeds. So telling that story is important. Um, and yeah, it definitely wasn't, it wasn't the easiest thing I've ever done. Um, but ultimately, you have to have that dedication to push through when a lot of folks are saying, I don't get the story. No. Totally. Yep. I know it well. So, uh, okay. So you've got this $5 million, you've got this co-founder and like, how are things going at this point? Yeah. So now we're a team of, uh, over 30, um, and you tripled our headcount even this year, which has its own unique challenges, um, in, in light of COVID, um, given everyone is remote now, we have offices in Los Angeles and New York. Actually, we chose to, to build out tech, um, in New York City and products. So they're, we're kind of bi-coastal uh, in that nature. Um, ended up raising a Series A uh, in early, um, earlier this year, uh, closed technically in January from point seventy two. Um, those guys are fantastic. Um, and yeah, it's, um, the business is, it's, we're certainly building something special here. So we're excited. Cool. And so Eric, tell us about the, the future uh, of your industry, of this business, like where does where do you where does the market go in the next you know five or so years? Yeah, so I think for for both, there's two different sides of this. It's obviously the borrower focus of how does a how does the end consumer how is it, how is the end consumer affected, and then how are the banks affected or the non bank servicers affected? Whoever's servicing your mortgage, um, I'll take the boring boring shop first, which is the how are the banks affected, and then I'll go into the consumer side. Yeah, everyone cares about the banks so much, right? Yes. Exactly. No, what, what you're seeing at the banks are the reason a lot of oftentimes the reason that they're just not great at servicing. And you see like the, the JD Power and Associates scores are terrific. It's about as bad as insurance is. Um, and so for a lot of that reason is they're not bad people. It's they have really bad software. We're talking about blackened screen, screen cobalt systems where you got to press F2 to get to a screen or a payment screens over with control P, right? I'm not kidding when, when I say that these are mainframe really legacy solutions. And so in order to have you know traditional workflow and just provide better experiences for borrowers when you call into a call center you have an issue or you're requesting a payoff statement or you want to just pay your mortgage online uh you've got to update those systems and we're actively doing that first on the default side because it's the biggest pain point when a customer can't afford their payment they deserve a better experience um, and so we're building a lot of those tools for the servicers to, to provide that better borrower experience. And also it's better for the investor. No one wants a borrower to go into foreclosure and bankruptcy. Um, so our solution allows the borrower to the best, you know, for that best optimal solution. So that's for the, for the banks, um, which again, we're going to continue to build an end to end servicing system um, for these institutions. And then for the borrowers, you're going to see a lot better of an experience in the default side of things. You know, there's, it's very opaque. Like, what do you do if you can't pay your mortgage? Um, you know, they're not, you know, you know, typically when you, when you have a mortgage, you're not a mortgage expert, right? And so you, you Google around late at night, what's going on here? What do I even do? Oh, I have to like download this 35 page paper packet with a bunch of mortgage jargon that I have no idea. It's super offline and like go and get pay stubs and bank statements. And if you're divorcing, it's because of a divorce, divorce decrees. And like, there's all these different nuances. Um, so we built a digital experience for that. 
And so that's number one is what we, what we've built for the borrower is, you know, let's make this painless, painless as possible and actually build an online experience. Like you would see going to get a mortgage or what you would see going to get anything else kind of actually outside of the mortgage, which is an online experience. You don't have that right now. There is no, there is no experience out there. And then, um, right. other, there's no push button, get mortgage. No, there's no like push button. I need help. Like help me, you know, help me because I like for COVID, for example, like give me the forbearance, call the forbearance plan where you don't pay your mortgage right now until you, until, um, until you can. And so for 12 months. And so basically we built a lot of that sophisticated technology for the consumer. We're going to continue to build value added, um, kind of software for that in, end consumer, whether that be understanding, you know, your payments, or your escrows, or again, the payoff statements and offering potentially value added solutions like home insurance. But yeah, there's a lot you can do there to ultimately give a better experience for that service search. Probably in any servicing in general, or the only place you don't get to choose. So whether you know it or not, if you have a mortgage, you don't get to choose who your servicer is. So you get, so that's just one of these things where tip, that's why, you know, historically, servicing hasn't really been a service first kind of industry uh, and we're looking to change that cool well uh i totally like everything you're saying it all sounds it all sounds very much like the future eric so uh, i'll get you out of here on this a piece of advice you know for someone trying to carve out their place in the world fly themselves around there just i guess maybe they'll have to drive right now but drive across the country to a uh, to a zoom job interview um you know what do you tell someone trying to kind of like find their spot in the world yeah, it's really betting on yourself and just taking all of the, taking everything you can um, and taking all the shots on goal, honestly, always. It's just never giving up and just keep going. You're obviously going to have the ups and downs and being defeatist never helps. So just keep going because um, ultimately you never know where you're going to find yourself. And that's kind of the approach I've taken since, you know, since I've been growing up. And so ultimately I think that's, that's, I think that's a good piece of advice, hopefully, to leave folks yep. interested. Just, just keep going. Persistence. Life is Persistence. hard. Don't give up. Exactly. Cool. Well, Eric, this was great talking to you, man. I loved hearing about the, the business, your journey. Really, really fun stuff. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you could support us is by telling your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks.